0: Good morning, Axis Church. We sprung forward this morning. I was like, can we please spring backward next year? Because did not get enough sleep last night. But uh, we're all here. Some of us, I saw at Axis, were running this morning down US 42. So we have some incredible people in this church. Uh, I was not with them. I was enjoying Uh, A warm car this morning. But I'm excited this morning to jump into our series called The Chosen. For those of you that don't know me, I'm Andrew. I get the privilege of helping lead our students and young adults here at Axis being on staff. And I'm excited for The Chosen because I love this TV series, which is saying something because I'm kind of a TV and movie snob, admittedly. Like anytime we're about to watch a TV series or movie, I'm looking up the Rotten Tomatoes I'm looking up the IMDb. I will not watch anything below like a 7. I want the best. So I only watch the good Fast and Furious movies. I only watch the good Star Wars movies. If you want to know what those are, you can talk to me after. But The Chosen, I was a little hesitant because sometimes, admittedly, Christian media, a little lower budget, right, little lower acting quality sometimes, which makes sense. They don't have all the resources a big studio has. So The Chosen was created to to make like an HBO quality TV series or like a Fox Disney quality TV series about people seeing Jesus, seeing people see Jesus and looking through their eyes. And this morning, we're going to look through the eyes of, interestingly enough, Pilate. So if you guys will join me in prayer, we'll see what God has for us this morning. God, Father, I just pray this morning... You would just give us a time of rest, a time to reflect, a time to take a pause from everything going on, whether it be work or relationships or stuff at home or family or whatever it may be, God. Give us a time this morning to reset our week, to process, to pause. God, we love you. Thank you for everything. And God, thank you that even when we don't love you, you still love us. Give us new mercies every morning, grace every day. Speak to us this morning. We love you. We pray all this the only way we can pray, and that's through your spirit in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. I don't know if you've ever been presented with someone, and then immediately afterwards, your opinion gets asked. It could be a friend of yours, and they've newly started dating someone, and afterwards in the car, they turn to you, and they say, so, what do you think? Or maybe it's you're finally introduced to someone you're dating, you're introduced to their family, and afterwards they turn to you and say, so, what do you think? Maybe at times you have been the one presented, and other people have responded to you. That happened to me when I met my wife, Claire. The three things I knew about her dad before meeting him, which I'd never met someone's dad, were that he was a guy's guy, he was a big hunter, I've never even killed a squirrel, and that his hands allegedly were about to be registered as lethal weapons in the 80s. That was all I was told. And so in meeting him, I was very trepidatious for his response to my presence. Luckily, it was good. We're cool now. And uh, at other times, it hasn't gone so well. Once I was presented to someone's mom. We weren't even dating. We were just going to homecoming, and so I'm wearing my suit. I get introduced to the mom. Her name's Karen. Uh, the name the name fit the stereotype. And Karen extends her arm to me. Interestingly enough, I grab her hand. She's about four foot eleven, and all of a sudden, the strength of Dwayne the Rock Johnson, grips my hand, and she says, and I quote as she turns to her daughter, this is it? I was like, listen, okay? You know, I'm not the sharpest guy on the block or, you know, like the best looking, but this is it? Okay, I'm better than that, all right? And then the entire time she's taking pictures of us, We're in a group, we're in a line, and she's staring just at me. Me and Karen are locking eyes, and she is just death glaring at me. And I am scared of first and foremost the wrath and judgment of God, but probably second would be Karen's. And there I was, and then at the end of the photo shoot, I found out her response to me. When she came up to me, smacked me on the back and said, I was just messing with you, I know you're a good guy. And I was like, "What? I was in terror for like 20 minutes, and now every photo of me at that homecoming is just like awkwardly smiling and trying to hold her daughter as far of a distance as possible from me. And so just as I was presented to Karen, we have all been presented someone and asked our opinion. Pilate is presented to this man Jesus, in John 18. And in verse 28 to 29, we see this Roman governor be presented with this person from Nazareth he has heard rumors about. And now he finally sees the man, and in verse 28 says, Then the Jewish leaders took Jesus from Caiaphas to the palace of the Roman governor. By now it was early morning, and to avoid ceremonial uncleanness, they did not enter the palace because they wanted to be able to eat the Passover. So Pilate came out to them and asked, What charges are you bringing against this man? So here is Pilate, the governor of the entire province of Judea. He is put here on assignment because he married a granddaughter of Caesar. He is there not because of his ability, but purely because of happenstance. And it is one of the worst provinces because there's always this ethnic tension, as is true of modern-day Middle East and Israel. And the Jews were more stubborn, especially the Jewish leaders, than anyone to conform to Roman traditions and language and religion. And so it was a very hard assignment. And in the midst of all of this, he's presented with this man, Jesus, and Jesus demands a response from Pilate. Why does he demand a response? Well, first and foremost, because Jesus was becoming the most influential person in the Judean world, in Pilate's world. People were talking constantly about his teaching, how he had authority unlike anyone ever, how he was healing, performing miracles, and Pilate, being governor of this territory, would have wanted to know more about him. What's interesting is Pilate, we actually have relics in history knowing he was a Roman governor, and he was known to be someone who ruled with an iron fist. He was a weak man, but a very cruel one to keep control. He wanted to keep the peace, and he would have been intrigued by a man who had just ridden into town, and people had bowed down and worshipped him, which would have scared him because that's what people did when Roman military leaders would enter Rome after a military victory on a horse. People would bow down and worship, and here is this man of all places from Nazareth that people are believing to be God, and word is spreading of his authority and teaching, and that demands a response just from being the most influential and incredible person in Pilate's world. But imagine if someone didn't give a response to the most influential person. Imagine if in today, in modern America, you walk down the street, and you just tossed out a name to someone. You're like, response. What's your opinion? You just tossed it out. You're just like, Donald Trump. Thoughts. And they're just like, yeah, I don't have any. You'd be like, What? That guy, least the hair, I don't know something, right, or you said Joe Biden, thoughts like Joe who like the guy we elected, you know like the, the the president or or any other name of any modern president Barack Obama, George W. Bush, Bill Clinton, Ronald Reagan, y'all are already forming responses and opinions. why? Because they are the most influential people in modern America, and that inclines us to a response to in Opinion. Well, how much more should we have a response to the most influential person in human history? The most influential person in the modern world, Jesus. He is simultaneously in South Park episodes and the rap lyrics of Drake, and art museums, and Shakespeare, and history books, and jewelry, and clothing, and he is incorporated into every major modern world religion. He's everywhere. Even people that don't even believe in Jesus still say his name, Jesus Christ. They say it inadvertently, but they say it. He's everywhere. He is constantly presented to us. Most influential person in our world today, and that demands a response. But Pilate, he tries to remain neutral. But it is impossible for him to do so, as we will see, because of what Jesus has said and done. We see that in John 18, starting in verse 29, it says, So Pilate came out to them and asked, What charges are you bringing against this man? If he were not a criminal, they replied, we would not have handed him over to you. Pilate said, Take him by yourselves and judge him by your own law. But we have no right to execute anyone, they objected. This took place to fulfill what Jesus had said about the kind of death he was going to die. Pilate then went back inside the palace, summoned Jesus, and asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Is that your own idea, Jesus asked, or did others talk to you about me? Am I a Jew, Pilate replied? Your own people and chief priests handed you over to me. What is it you have done? Jesus said, My kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. But now my kingdom is from another place. You are a king then, said Pilate. Jesus answered, You say that I am a king. In fact, the reason I was born and came into the world is to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. What is truth, retorted Pilate. With this, he went out again to the Jews, gathered there and said, I find no basis for a charge against him. Pilate is trying to remain neutral in his response. He was not a fan of the Jews. They were constantly causing him trouble. So here the Jewish leaders are begging him to execute a person. So he wouldn't want to on the first basis. He doesn't want to appease them. And on the second basis, he realizes this guy is zero threat. He's expecting a rebel, a revolutionary, and he meets a person that won't even admit to the fact that his kingdom is on earth. It seems to be some other type of kingdom. So he ends with a sarcastic remark, realizing he's no military threat, and seeks to have him freed. But Pilate cannot remain neutral, and here's why, and we see it throughout the text. Jesus is contrary, is going against Pilate's society. The Jewish leader's society, Roman society, he is going against it. In Jewish society, the Jewish leader's always elevated appearance. The appearance of good, the appearance of morality, the appearance of being religious. They would walk around and pray very loudly so that others would know and hear. The way they would dress. Whenever they would be fasting, they would dress and act in such a way that people would know what they were doing. And Jesus instead encouraged people to pray in private when they fast to not make it about yourself. And Jesus encouraged to care more about the heart than the appearance The Jewish leaders valued following rules, and Jesus instead valued following God. We see this in that the Jewish leaders, they don't enter Pilate's palace because they don't want to be unclean. Which is ironic because they're literally unjustly trying to murder someone. But they don't want to appear unclean. Lord forbid they do that. But they're literally executing a person on a Roman cross. They could have stoned Jesus. They had to go to Pilate to get him on a cross, and that's what they were trying to do, but they don't want to appear unclean. Jewish leaders would encourage people on the Sabbath not to do work, so women would tie water buckets around the strings of their dress to be able to draw water, instead of, you know, just drawing water, but the Jewish leaders were so focused on the rules of not doing work. Jesus was healing people on the Sabbath, and the the Pharisees would get mad. Because he was following God and they were more interested in following the rules. Jewish leaders also loved to exalt themselves and to be exalted by men and women. That people would constantly praise the rabbis and the teachers and they would get the best seats and the best clothing. But Jesus valued humbling himself to be exalted by God. And Jesus was not only going against Jewish society, but Roman society. In Rome, if your child was weak or too messed up, you could just throw him into the wild. Because it was such a military culture that strength was so valued. And Jesus encouraged all of us to have the faith of a child. And that the little children could come to him completely contrary to Roman society. Women in Rome were given very little worth and their witness in court wouldn't even count. And Jesus chose his first witnesses to be women. And Mary Magdalene, who we surmise to be a prostitute, would be his first witness that Jesus is alive, and that he would be publicly supported by prominent Roman women throughout his ministry. It would have been unheard of. And Jesus would encourage people to love their enemies as themselves. In a Roman culture where other ethnicities, other nations that you were conquering were seen as nothing, and Jesus would encourage them to not just like, but love their enemies. And that would cause Pilate to be unable to have a neutral response. Jesus was too contrary to society. It'd be like if you've ever met a person that's always contrary or always a downer, a Mr. Negative, a Debbie Downer, you do not have a neutral response to them. It's like when you go into work and you're like, man, it's a sunny day today. They're like, yeah, but it's going to rain tomorrow. Or you're like, man, the Bengals won. They're like, yeah, by only three points. And you're like, okay, chill. You're like, oh, man, this coffee was great. We got pizza. And they're like, yeah, but we forgot creamer and wings. It's like, no, those people do not create, at least in me, a neutral response. But Jesus was not only contrary to Roman and Jewish society, but he's contrary to society today. What do we constantly elevate today? We constantly elevate doing what we feel in the moment, doing what's easy. We constantly say, you do you, boo. Do what, do what you feel like. Do what's right for you. You're about elevating in people the value to do whatever they want and feel in the moment, do what's easy. But Jesus valued doing what God wants. That in the garden, he said, thy will be done. At the end of the Lord's prayer, he said, your kingdom come. And for us to not always do what's easy, but what's best and healthiest for us. And sometimes that meant taking up our cross for Jesus. We also like in this modern society to constantly talk about others as if we are more superior or smarter or more good or better than them. We used to only be able to do it in gossip when we would say, can you believe that she does this? Did you hear about what he does? Can you believe they believe this? And now we can just do it online, all the time, in online discussions where we don't actually have to confront the people that we are disagreeing or talking about. And this is true across the board in our society, liberal, progressive, conservative, Republican, Democrat, Christian and non-Christian. You can even hear it in the words of non-Christians when they still see themselves as morally superior because of their beliefs on climate or on policy or on law. We all can do that. We begin to look at others and see ourselves as better, but Jesus spoke of the how we are all loved by God. We are all just as guilty. We are all made in his image, and he has to seek all of us out. None of us come to him on our own. We all come here with nothing, but all he has given us. We too, like the Jews, value appearance on social media And with the best-looking families, the best-looking houses, the best-looking jobs, cars, and trips, Jesus was far more interested in the heart and how things actually were. And so we read on and see Pilate's response. He cannot remain neutral, but now he tries his best not to make it personal. In John 18, continuing in to verse 38, it says this, Pilate went out again to the Jews, gathered there, and said, I find no basis for a charge against him, but it is your custom for me to release to you one prisoner at the time of the Passover. Do you want me to release the king of the Jews? They shouted back. No, not him. Give us Barabbas. Now Barabbas had taken part in an uprising. Then Pilate took Jesus and had him flogged. The soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head they clothed him in a purple robe and went up to him again and again saying, hail, king of the Jews. They slapped him in the face. And once more Pilate came out and said to the Jews gathered there, look, I'm bringing him out to you to let you know that I find no basis for a charge against him. And we see here Pilate he can't remain neutral, but he's trying to make it not personal. He's saying, you guys are doing this. This is, not, this is not me. But the truth is, with what Jesus said and what Jesus did, there are only two options to respond to him, and both are personal. We can follow Jesus, or we can follow ourselves. And Pilate tries to remain impersonal. He's like, I know this guy's a good guy. I don't believe he's God, he's a good guy, and we'll just leave it there. And many people still today do that. It is undeniable that historically Jesus existed, so many people will say, yeah, good guy, great guy, good guy, and leave it there. We do it in our own lives when we don't see Jesus as our Lord and Savior, but more as an advisor at times that we really just do whatever we want, and then maybe Jesus' input can come in every once in a while. But our response must be personal. We can't remain neutral. There really is only two options. We can follow Jesus or we can follow ourselves. And we see Pilate's decision as it continues on in verse 6. As soon as the chief priest and their officials saw him, they shouted, crucify, crucify. But Pilate answered, you take him and crucify him. As for me, I find no basis for a charge against him. if it were not given to you from above. The truth is at times we can be demanding of God. We can say, show up, do this, where are you? And we forget that our very power and ability to choose Jesus is only ours because he gave it to us. That he loved us so much to give us the choice to love him in return, that he would not make us. And there Pilate stands, condemning him, believing that Jesus is not worth enough to stop following himself to follow him, and he condemns him to a cross. And continuing in verse 11, he says, therefore, the one who handed me over to you is guilty of a greater sin. From then on, Pilate tried to set Jesus free, but the Jewish leaders kept shouting, if you let this man go, you are no friend of Caesar. Caesar. And finally, Pilate handed him over to them to be crucified. Pilate tried to not make it personal. But in the end, when they of the option of following himself or following Jesus, he chose himself. And the people made the same decision, the chief priests, when they shouted. The truth is, they were not picking Caesar as a king over Jesus as a king. They were picking themselves as a king over Jesus as a king. For Pilate in that moment, Jesus was contrary to what he wanted. Pilate just wanted peace. No one to fight. Pilate just wanted the easy way out. Pilate wanted the prestige and the elevation and the exaltation of his position. He wanted to be affirmed as a good leader. When in truth, in following Jesus and submitting to him, it would have cost living for himself. But what he truly needed was the affirmation and love of a father. To be affirmed and given the prestige as the son of God. To be given the exaltation one day in eternity to be told well done. And to be given peace that passes all understanding. Pilate did not want Jesus in that moment, but he needed him. As we all do, and we all must make that decision. This reminds me all of a story from the writer C.S. Lewis, and I'll close with this. There's a book called The Voyage of the Don Treader, and in this book there is a character, the character of Eustace Scrub, and he is deserving of that terrible of a name. He is the worst kid ever. You wouldn't let your kid go over to his house for a sleepover. That's how bad he was. The whole book, you see how utterly wrapped up in himself Eustace is. He continually posits himself as better and more good and smarter than everyone else aboard their ship as they are journeying to the end of the world. And it is ironic and humorous as you realize that everyone else is probably better than him. But he's too wrapped up in himself. And they get to this island and instead of helping and loving the others, Eustace pursues his own gains and finds a treasure cave. A former cave of a dragon and a cursed cave. And he begins to delight in everything he's always wanted. Riches, and he imagines all the power he could ever want with these riches. Not realizing that ultimately it's fool's gold because they're sailing to the end of the world. And there's no use for it there. And how would he transport all this treasure? But thinking that he lived for himself and it all paid off, he delights. And puts on a golden armband and falls asleep. And he awakes And the curse brings about that he becomes a gigantic dragon. And he is a remorseful dragon because he is constantly in pain. Because that once loose armband has suddenly become immensely tight and constricting and painful to his arm. And constantly, every day, he is crying and in pain. And he is in bondage to once pursuing himself that seemed great, and now it has turned into the bondage of sin and he cannot release himself from it. And throughout the story, he becomes, through this trial, more of a person than he ever was as a human. And at the end, he has a dream, and he wakes up, and then it almost seems to be reality. And he's faced within this world, not a man as we face Jesus, but in a world of talking animals, C.S. Lewis would decide that Jesus would come to them in the form of a talking lion, Aslan. And Aslan has prepared for him this hot bath to be able to finally free himself of his old skin and become a human once again to remove that bondage. And the lion offers to let him take the skin off, but Eustace looks at the claws of the lion and thinks it too painful for him to do it and decides that he's still going to do it himself And getting in the bath, again and again, he tries to take the skin off, be released from the bondage. And it works for a second or two, and it keeps failing. And the lion's offer still stands to let him remove the bondage, to use his claws, though they may be painful, to remove the skin. And finally, Eustace relents, and he submits and bows to the lion, And as the lion's claws dig into his skin, though painful, he finally sees himself free of the bondage. And the truth is that we are all bound to sin, to living selfishly, to focusing only on ourselves and making ourselves king of our lives. And it is a personal response we all must have to make Jesus king and Lord and Savior. And though it is a one-time decision that we all must make to follow him, All throughout God's word, there is this image of repentance and this concept that every day, continually, we will find ourselves drifting with our eyes and we must again and again submit before the Father and to follow him. That sometimes we may not feel like it, sometimes we may not even want it. At times, Jesus is contrary to our wants. It may not always be the easy way, it may not always be the most enjoyable way, But it is the way we need. It is healthiest and best for our lives. And it may sometimes come at a cost. And that is why Jesus said that we must lose our lives in order to gain it. To lose living for ourselves to gain living for him. But thankfully we have God's spirit and community to help us make that decision every day. Let's pray. God, we love you, Father. And I pray that when we too are presented with you, we are presented with Jesus, that God, you're the most influential, incredible person, that you love us, know us, and care for us. So God, give us the spirit, give us the strength, give us the courage, give us the desire to choose to follow you above ourselves. To make that response once and for all when we make you Lord and Savior. And to submit again and again in repentance every day. Looking to follow you. It may not be necessarily always what we want or what we feel. But it's what we need. And God in doing so give us all the fruits of the spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and self-control. So that in John, as you said, we can live life now to the fullest. And I can't wait with life for you in the future. We love you. We pray all this through your spirit in Jesus' name.